With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lockaway channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. I have known Aida Rodriguez a long time. We've been on many political panels together. And while she claims that she is retiring from political commentary, her new HBO Max comedy special, Fighting Words, is deeply political and funny and a revelation because of the intimate window it gives us into Ida's life. Because in addition to the comedy set, it's part docu-series, including Ida meeting her dad as an adult for the first time. And while we hear a lot about how comedians use their pain to fuel their humor, it's a different thing to watch it happen in real time. Ida, thank you so much for doing this. No, thank you for having me. We got history. I'm happy that you're still doing what you're doing and that you're growing and that you're getting recognition in this because you've been doing this for a minute and you've been elevating us and trying to show people who we are. And I remember sitting on a set with you in Miami and you bringing me on before even they ready. So I just I'm happy to see you still doing this. No, I'm supposed to be saying all these things to you. No, we're supposed to be saying it to each other. Do you want to walk me through the story of the many times you were kidnapped in your youth? Or do you want (laughs) me to offer a brief summary? So my mother took me from my father because she wanted a better life for me. He was undocumented and we lived in the Dominican Republic with him. I was his as these uh, right wingers would refer to me as an anchor baby. He was a musician and his family wasn't very accepting of my mom. So my mother had to seek refuge. She came back to the United States. There, my mother fell in love with yet another man who was not good for her. And this man who was wanted for murder had us on the run with him. And we went to New York because the SWAT team had raided our home in Miami. We ran to New York to hide where all the other criminals go hide. (laughs) 
And my grandmother found out where we were. My grandmother kidnapped me. The babysitter was someone that was a family friend. And they told my grandmother where I was. My grandmother took me. She and my uncle plotted this whole thing. They cut my hair off, flew me across state lines, brought me to Miami. My mother had an option. She could call the police, which would probably get her man caught. Or she could just let me be and go live a, a life of normalcy as much as that was possible. And that was it. I lived in Miami and I grew up there. My mother eventually came back because the man was caught and we got on with our lives in Miami. I think a lot of us hear that story. We're like, you must have been so angry with your mom. Of course. But you, you weren't. You were happy she was back. I was relieved. The way that I processed it, it was my mom was taken away from me. And then mm -hmm. I got my mom back. I was angry towards my grandmother because my grandmother was the one that took me from my mom because I had no concept of danger. I didn't realize how much danger I was really in. So the anger was directed at my grandmother for taking me away from my mother. I wasn't able to appreciate it uh, until later. And, you know, it's funny because I made jokes about it. It's the first time that I ever did those jokes were for they ready. And then I never did them again. It was very painful for me. It was very traumatic. The trauma of growing up without my father, not having answers about that part of me, knowing who I am, knowing the Dominican part of me, that was very traumatic. But it was even more traumatic to get taken away from my mother, who was my everything. And even though I was with my grandmother and I was with relatives, I would rather be on the run with my mother than to be stable with those relatives because that's my mom. You say that because your dad wasn't around, you would look for him in books. Where would you yeah. find him? Who did you imagine your dad was? Oh, man. I started reading things that I probably shouldn't have been reading really young. I read Lord of the Flies, The Jungle. I read To Kill a Mockingbird in elementary school. I wasn't in middle school. I was in a junior high school. I, I found my dad in, in all of these books. And it was interesting because... I created him to be who I wanted him to be. I had to create my father to be a person, you know, even though my mom is like a great writer and she loves to read. I was like, okay, this is where I got this from. So I would find them in all the books that I loved. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads. What did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blowout barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight. And now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important. And it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th. At 6.30 p.m., we're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. 
Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer, M&M's for all fun kind. Fighting words is fascinating because you break form with it. And I I was obsessed with that as I was watching it, that in addition to the traditional comedy set, there also then is a bit of travel docu-series. And Mm -hmm. there's you meeting your dad for the first time as an adult. How did all of those things you imagined he would be square with who he actually was? Oh, so first and foremost, the first time you see me see my father in that documentary, it's the actual first time I saw my father. I wondered, but your face kind of gives you away. It wasn't rehearsed. We didn't shoot it more than once. Nadia, the director, Nadia Hongren, insisted that it would be organic so long as that was okay with me. And it was. It was breathtaking. It was heart-wrenching. It was nerve-wracking. It was heavy. There are many people that I know who don't know who their fathers are, haven't met their fathers, have this romantic idea about meeting their father. And to see my father be skinny, I could see the struggle on his face. Knowing where he was in the Dominican Republic, second world, it was hard. It was painful. I immediately wanted to rescue him. And everything was forgiven in that moment. I hugged him and I could feel his bones. And it was just really, it was a a very heavy moment for me. To this day, I'm still processing it. Yeah, I mean, how could you not be? And what was so fascinating as a viewer was that I felt all that heaviness. And then it splices right to you making a joke inspired by that meeting where you talk about how you're sitting together and all these women walk in. He's like, oh, it's your sister. Oh, it's your other sister. That's your sister too. And and to feel both the depths of the hurt and the disappointment and then to see you on stage just sort of like turning on a dime and all of a sudden it is a funny thing that happened in the past when really it was, it was right mm-hmm. there. I've learned to process my pain through jokes. I've been doing that since I was a very young kid in, in Miami. Black and brown kids find a way to deal with their pain through humor. And we clown each other. We joke on each other. That's a survival mechanism for us. I just specifically remember, you know, having a friend that came through the Mario boat lift to Miami. And she would say, yo soy Marielita, like herself. Just let's get it out of the way. Before you get me, I'm going to get me. And just remembering like later thinking, wow, how hard it is to have to be on a boat, leave your homeland, get on a boat, risk your life just for safety so that somebody can come make fun of it. (laughs) And it's just like, oh, that's what we do. It is a survival mechanism for us. And I've always been able to do that. I have journals all over the place. I'm looking at them now because I'm working on some new stuff. And then I I write what happens and then I figure out how is this going to be funny? Some things resonate better through a joke than they do a good preaching to. Or I want to step back for a second, because in preparing for this conversation, I read all these interviews with you. I watched all these interviews and 
There's always this question about the first time that someone suggests to you that you do stand up, but there's a piece of your bio that I feel often goes missing, which is that period where you're a model. And so before we even get to the like, who told you you were funny, who found you and told you that you should be on stage doing comedy, who found you as a model? You know, it's funny. It's like people skip over that part because I didn't make it. (laughs) I wasn't a supermodel, (laughs) right? But there are a lot of models who you don't know that have a very comfortable life modeling that are not Naomi Campbell and Cindy Crawford. I was at a mall with my mom and an agent came up to us and started talking to us at the Omni in Miami. (laughs) The lady was like talking to us and I I can immediately feel the resistance from my mother. I like perked up because I was like, oh, an opportunity to get out of (laughs) here. You know, that's immediately what I was thinking. And this woman named Katia Jaretsi at at Michelle Pamier, who was the first person that said she thought I had a look, because that's what they would say. I made my grandmother sign me up for Barbizon, and I went to Barbizon just to learn how to just walk on the runway. I was like, I'm doing this. (laughs) I did this competition called Models of the South, and... Already amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it was really funny. It was the Models of the South, and it was like all of the agencies were there. And this woman named Monique, she was in in the States from Milan, and she wanted to sign me. And she was like, I I will take you to Milan, and I will make you a star, and you will be one of the highest paid models in the game. It was a woman in Miami at a mall who just came up to me, and she just said it. And I went and got a portfolio. I went and took pictures. And then I started doing like uh, runway shows at department stores which were paying really well for me to be that young to make that kind of money. But you know how many women and men and and non-binary people walk runways and for these designers and work throughout that you never hear about and they make a comfortable living and they are the models and they are supermodels because they do it every day because they love to do it, not because of the fame. I was just part of this community that I never really fit in. I was la payasa behind the scenes making fun, you know, but it was something that I did and I was really good at it. I was very good on the runway. Um, I hated taking pictures, but I was really good on the runway. Which makes perfect sense. And part of the reason I bring it up is that it is fascinating watching you on stage, how you own the stage. Like Mm. you have such presence, like you couldn't just tell that you're at home on the stage. Yeah, I love this stage. Eventually, you're at a roast. Producer says to you, Ida, you're a stand-up comedian. No, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. You go, you do a bunch of open mics. These stories do sort of go the same way. Mm-hmm. I think what makes your story particularly unique and different is that you're doing this exactly as I would, where you have like a real job. You're working Absolutely. at at a brokerage full-time and then mm-hmm. also working as a full-time comedian, learning the business. And I always love that you come back to the fact that this is a business. You're learning not just mm-hmm. how to be a comic, but how to how to do the business piece of this. What was the moment where you felt secure enough to walk away from the job at the brokerage? Uh, I'm waiting on that moment, if I'm <laughs> honest with you, Alicia. I'm having all of these people asking me for stuff, people that I know, people that I don't know, people who I'm not that cool with asking me for stuff. I get paid for this job and I I have this moment, this panic, this meltdown, say, saying to myself, what do I do with this money? Where do I put this money? This is like backup money just in case something happens because we never know how this career is going to go. 
I don't ever take it for granted. Like I will never ever take for granted or ever think that I've fully arrived because I've seen people who have had way more than me lose it all. And so this industry never makes me feel secure. What makes me feel secure is the knowledge and information that I got from Edward Jones, which is where I worked on how to save my money, where to put my money um, for the future, how to protect myself as an individual. Like all of those things that I learned there is what I feel secure in. Nothing to do with a paycheck ever from the entertainment business. That's so real. It's true. What did it take for you to actually start gaining traction? Last comic standing. It was Wanda Sykes and Paige Hurwitz putting me on that show. Last Comic Standing is where I started to make a decent wage as a stand-up comedian, where I could quit my job and live my life decently. I had to quit my job to do Last Comic Standing. I had to make an executive decision, and that was one of the most nerve-wracking decisions I ever made in my life, because I had to take a chance. And I'm walking away from a full-time job now. You're a mom walking away from a full-time job. I sat down with them and we talked about it. And we decided to do Last Comic Standing. And thank God I did it because I was headlining ever since. I was never a, a feature again. And if I featured, I featured for such big acts that my pay was even more than that of me as a headliner. Because, of course, we get paid less than everybody. But it was Last Comic Standing. There's a part in Fighting Words where you say you're retired from political commentary because, quote, you people are exhausting, which really <laughs> resonated with me. And I also love the whole riff about woke people going and getting their signs so they can oh, like, yeah. let people know just how woke they are. What do you think, since you do look at all of this from a different approach, what do you think, like, first of all, complete BS that you have retired from political commentary this comedy special is nothing if not searing political commentary (laughs) on everything, on like the state of U.S. politics, on Latinidad. There is a sense when I was watching the special, I'm like, oh, she's going for it. Like anything she sort of has had back here that she's like, maybe I'll use that later. It's like, you're just done. Yeah. Angry. Angry, but also resolved. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting to watch people take other people down. And the reason why it's not revolutionary for me and the reason why it's not a gangster for me, it's because it's easy to take other people down. The real revolutionaries are trying to take institutions down. They're trying to take the man down, not other people who finally just crept in the door because we're all victims of white supremacy. All of us, even white people, whether we want to admit it or not. You look at those poor white people in the middle of the country who don't have a dental plan, they don't have health care, they don't have a, a decent education, and they think that they're better than us just because they're white. That is the ultimate illness while you are drowning in this pool of ignorance and thinking that you're better than me just because of the color of your skin when your conditions are so poor and so sad and so pitiful. And that alone makes you think, tell me that's not mental illness. So when we sit here and we talk about all of these people who are revolutionaries and gangsters because they're taking other individuals down, they only take the individuals down because they know better. They know better than to mess with the institutions because that's when it ends for you. 
I think that turned me off because I thought I was running towards a revolution with people behind me and next to me and in front of me that were going to go do this. And I realized that it was fueled by envy and insecurity and self-hate. And that is what has held so many people back. So when I talk about solidarity and when I talk about allyship and I talk about finding our power, I actually mean that shit. It comes from my soul. And so when I I met with these people who are so performative, they're doing it because it's the right thing to do and the right thing to say. And they know how to say all the right things and they use all the right terminology, but their souls are rotten because it is not actually fueled by the desire to want to create better conditions for our people. Whereas someone like me, who I don't get it right all the time, I don't say Latinx all the time. You know, sometimes I miss the mark because I'm still learning and I'm imperfect, but I actually want to see a better world for people. And I look like the bad guy next to somebody who knows all the perfect terminology. Because there are a lot of good people that we've lost in the fight who just gave up and said, you know what? I'm just going to get my own bag because at the end of the day, these people are not waiting for anything but an opportunity to set me on fire. (laughs) And I can't afford that because I got to take care of my own. And I understand that. I understand why people feel that way. Here's my final question. And I've been dying to ask you this one because I love it. I might steal it. Your Instagram bio says, I get my likes in person. Yep. I feel like that is... ethos. (laughs) You know, this is the thing. I don't idolize anyone. I met Muhammad Ali. I I shared baklava with Muhammad Ali. I went to his hotel room with my kids. We spent some time with him and his family, his daughters, his wife. That was my hero. And every single thing that we talked about, because I asked all the questions that I wanted to ask, was about his human experiences with people on the ground in person. He was a citizen of the world. Everywhere you go, you hear Ali, Bubaye in Africa. Everywhere you go, people loved him. And all he talked about was his experiences with people in person. I was like, that's what fills me. Because Instagram is not real. Twitter is not real. Facebook is not real. It's to keep us distracted, to keep us ill-informed, to keep us buying products to keep us feeding this capitalism. And I was like, what do you get out of this? I get nothing out of that. What I do get out is I was at a, at the improv. I made, this woman came up to me after my show. I thought she was going to beat me up, if I'm honest. She's like, I need to talk to you. She was very serious and stern. And she said, my son hung himself two weeks ago in my backyard. And this is the first time that I laughed since that happened. I will love you forever, Ida Rodriguez. It was an A-list actor who shall remain nameless as long as I'm alive that came up to me and said, I watched you at the improv. You talked about your eating disorder. I was about to go bench and I went to a meeting and it was because of you. It's about, you know, a young black girl that said to me, I got kidnapped by a family member and, and people think it's funny, but I appreciate what you said on They Ready I'm from Miami, too, and you my hero. Those are the things that matter to me and that feed me going to keep me going to the next day. People hating on Twitter, exercising their demons and their illnesses and their deficiencies and their insecurities. Not that everyone is, but many of us are. 
I include myself in that, doesn't feed me in any way because I know pain when I see it because pain recognizes pain. So for me, that's why I love what I do because I have a live experience with human beings and I get to talk to people and I get to feel people and I get to see people. And I don't ever, I'm never going to let social media trump that for me. I, I want to say one more thing to you before I let you go, which is my f- absolute favorite moment of the entire special is you're in the car, you've just been with your dad, you, you're processing it all, and someone asks you if you're all right, and your son says she's doing her best. And I was just like, man, you raise such good kids. Mm-hmm. Like on top of doing everything else, on top of the fact that it's like you've had 17 different careers, <laughs> you're exploding in the one you actually care about. You yeah. raise two phenomenal human beings who seem to enjoy being with you. Yeah. Who seem like they support everything that you do. But that moment I was like, oh man, whoever gets to marry this boy is so lucky because he is so attuned. <laughs> He's a great human being. He's the biggest feminist in my family. He's so pro-woman. But one thing that I taught them is like, we got to let people be okay. It is okay to just be okay. The aspiration to always be perfect, to always get it right all the time, it's a trap. And it causes a lot of pain and it causes a lot of, it stunts your growth as a human being, your evolution as a human. So yeah, he was the one who held my hand. They both held my hand throughout the experience. They were my protectors throughout the experience. Tomorrow we have the premiere. They will be my protectors on that red carpet and throughout the entire event. We reciprocate and yeah, I am doing my best. (laughs) It's coming through. Ida, thank you so much. No, thank you, my love. I'm happy to see you and your babies on uh, on social media. It makes me happy. I just want to say one more time, Ayla has worked so hard to get to this place. And when she talks about how she's still waiting for the moment when she can trust her passion to pay her bills, I was sort of kicked back, both because I rarely hear that level of honesty and because I think it's really important as we watch others rise to understand that what it looks like on the outside is very often different than what it looks like on the inside. Yet another reminder to get your likes in person. And remember, Fighting Words is streaming on HBO Max. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua and me, Alicia Menendez. Sarah McClure is our senior producer. Our lead producer is Cedric Wilson. Kojin Tashiro is our associate sound designer. Steven Colon makes this episode. Jimmy Gutierrez is our managing editor. Manuela Bedoya is our social media editor and ad ops lead. We love hearing from you. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Slide into our DMs on Instagram or tweet us at latinatolatina. Remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, wherever you're listening right now. And remember, every time you share the podcast or you leave a review, you help us to grow as a community. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.